the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you're able to join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews. We talk about world religions. We talk about the past, which includes the subject of history. We talk about the future, which... um, sometimes includes the subject of prophecy. But every once in a while, we talk about important issues in the news right now. Imagine my surprise when I read a headline at DailySignal.com, exclusive school-assigned girl to sleep with boy who identifies as trans without parental notification. And then, of course, at the Alliance Defending Freedom site, um Kate Anderson, who's the senior counsel and the director for Center of Parental Rights, uh, posted a very important um, note that the Colorado School District hides student overnight rooming policy from parents. Joining me on the program is Kate Anderson. She serves as the senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. And Kate, again, thank you so much for coming on the program in such short notice. Thank you for having me. Well, you are welcome, and obviously, shock, shock, surprise, surprise, when I read both the DailySignal.com article and your article. For people who are unfamiliar with this case, can you give us a brief understanding of of what's at issue here? Well, the headline says it all. Jefferson County set up a fifth-grade girl to sleep in the same bed as a fifth-grade boy who identifies as transgender while they were on an overnight trip to D.C. and Philadelphia. And so this case really is about a policy that hides that information from parents because this girl was not given that information ahead of time. She only Mm -hmm. found out because this other student told her when they were getting ready for bed that evening. And so she ended up hiding in the bathroom in the hotel room, calling her dad, calling her mom who was on the trip with her, and then having to repeatedly speak to chaperones and try to make arrangements so that she could move to a different room and have her privacy respected. So help me understand what's happened. Uh, Obviously, in your article, it says the Jefferson County Public School policy states that students who identify as the opposite sex should be assigned to share overnight accommodations with other students. Now, a policy isn't necessarily the law. Did Jefferson County Public Schools violate the law, this student's rights, this parent's rights? Um, are, are they following the law or are they violating the law? They're violating the law. Parents have the constitutional right and, frankly, the responsibility to direct their kids' upbringing and education. And that includes getting information from schools about what's going on with their kids, being able to make the best decisions for their children, and protect their privacy on overnight 
trips like the one that their daughter mm-hmm. was on, um, Jefferson County has a policy of rooming students based on their gender identity rather than their sex. But the problem with that is that their policy is also to hide that information from parents. Um, and anytime a school district is hiding information from parents, that should be concerning to all of us. These parents mm-hmm. need information so they can make mm-hmm. the best decisions for their kids so you don't end up with a girl hiding in a bathroom, calling her parents, trying to figure out how to get out of this very uncomfortable situation she was put in. Now, obviously, according to this article that you've posted at, at ADFlegal.org, um, you, you mentioned that Alliance Defending Freedom sent a letter today to Jefferson County Public Schools on behalf yeah. of these Colorado parents. I, I suspect that they haven't had time to respond. What do you anticipate their response will be? Well, we're very hopeful that they will agree with us and clarify their policy to ensure that all parents get the information that the policy exists, um, that their child, the arrangements for or any particular child's rooming um, arrangement so that parents can make best decisions for their kids. This is something that really is a fairly easy fix for Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. Just don't hide this information from parents. Uh, for example, parents uh, sign all kinds of paperwork. They get all kinds of information when they're um, taking a trip like this with their kids. And so anywhere in there, Jefferson County could notify parents of this policy, could let them know confidential, confidentially about their child's rooming arrangements and get them to opt in or opt out um, and really protect the privacy of all students um, and the information rights of all parents. Well, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you is what is the current status of parental rights in America uh, as it relates to, to government education even more specifically? Well, the Supreme Court has repeatedly Stated that parental rights are fundamental, that parents have the constitutional right uh, to direct their kids' upbringing and education, and that this is an important and fundamental right. But it is a right that's not being respected by too many schools across the country. And this theme of um, failure to be transparent, hiding information from parents, even lying to parents about important issues that impact their kids is just a theme that we're seeing over and over again in the public schools. It's a real attack on parental rights in a way that I'm not sure we've seen um, perhaps ever, but definitely not for a long time. Now, obviously, this is something that you're paying really close attention to. I, I would hope that this is an anomaly, that this is the exception to the rule, um, is this something that is pervasive? Is is what's ha- happened to this young girl and this family in Jefferson County, is it happening in other places? I believe that it is. This is not an isolated incident to have a policy like this, um, but we don't have many parents coming to the forefront and saying this is what happened to their own kids. Um, you sort of hear about it from time to time, but as the whales said to me, they heard this could happen. They've heard of this kind of thing, but they thought it was sort of overblown until it was at their front door. Uh, and that's really what's happened here. So I'm hopeful that from them stepping up and saying, this is what happened. We needed this information. This put our daughter in a very uncomfortable situation. They have two younger children that are set to go on the same trip and signed up for it. They want to ensure the same thing doesn't happen to their two younger children. So there's a bit of an urgency to it for them for that reason. But I'm hopeful that that will impact the policy in Jefferson County and elsewhere. 
You know, I can't help but thinking, obviously, we're still at the very early age, you know, stages of what's happening right now. And if we you, you talked earlier that it's an easy fix, but obviously you have to prepare for uh, the possibility that there might be pushback or even opposition. Could you can you what what do you anticipate might be a response that would be a little more defensive or even a lot more defensive on the part of Jefferson County Public Schools? Well, we're, again, we're hopeful Jefferson County will do the right thing and protect all parents, right? Correct. Um, see that everybody should uh, have this kind of transparency. But if they don't, we are certainly prepared to move forward um, as needed and engage the courts if we need to. Uh, this is an important issue. Uh, all parents need this information. Um, and if Jefferson County is not willing to do that, we will have to take further steps. Well, I so appreciate your time and uh, what you're doing. Uh, and I, 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 if you don't mind, I'm, I'm hoping that I might be able to check back with you later as things progress so that, that you can tell us how this resolved. And hopefully it will be resolved in a way that will um, honor parental rights. Absolutely. Happy to talk with you again as it continues to move forward. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is Gino Geraceon. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. And we're going to have more um, when we come back. And we're going to follow this case. It's in our backyard. I hope you're concerned. You should go to the Alliance Defending Freedom and read the article that's posted there. This is Gino Geraceon. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I just had a most interesting conversation, and um, with with Kate Anderson from Alliance Defending Freedom. And if you want to know more about uh, that article, you can go to ADF Legal. Um, it's again. When we think about um, what's going on and the current state of parental rights, you you can go to adflegal.org, and there you will find this article that I just uh, mentioned. And I'm hoping and praying that um, you are as concerned as I am about this. So we are so grateful to God for Alliance Defending Freedom and all that they've done um, in the past and all that they continue to do in the present. 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. It's quite easy to do. You just pick up the phone. You dial the number 303-873-1935. Producer Jim is... Um, standing by the phone, sitting by the phone, something by the phone. But if you pick up the phone and you dial the number 303-873-1935, happy, happy to take your calls. There's another concerning um, headline that I came across at faithwire.com. At faithwire.com, this is what the headline reads, it says, young Brits open to banning the Bible unless the offended parts can be edited out. 
Now, I found that article very, the title, at least the headline, very, very interesting for so many reasons. It's by Trey Goyne Phillips, uh, who um, is an editor at faithwire.com. But it reminded me of something that took place. I'm trying to remember if it was early, early, earlier in the year when the Chinese government was open to editing the Bible to be more consistent with the Chinese Communist Party and socialism. Now imagine you have the Chinese government saying, we're open to banning the Bible unless the offended parts can be edited out. And now this article, that young adults in Britain said that they would be open to banning the Bible unless the offended parts can be, the the offensive parts can be edited out. And again, as I pause and I think about that, because obviously in this program, when you call me and you ask, well, are there parts of the Bible that people find offensive? You know, I can't help but think of a passage of scripture that Paul wrote when he said, have I have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? And Jesus talks about that offenses would come. That it's impossible, Trey uh, Goyne Phillips, he says, and I quote him, close to a quarter of young British people said recently that they would be open to banning the Bible if they believed its pages contained hate speech. Whitestone Insights, which is a polling group, surveyed some 2,088 adults in the United Kingdom, asking them if they agreed with the following statement. Here's the statement. Unless the offending parts can be edited out, books containing what some perceive as hate speech should be banned from general sale including, if necessary, religious texts, such as the Bible. Now, what's interesting about the response, 23% of respondents between the ages of 18 and 34 were most likely to agree with the statement, followed by 17% of those aged 35 to 54 and 13% of those over the age of 55 according to Christian Today. So the survey comes after Dr. Pavi Rasinen, a Finnish politician, emerged victorious over a years-long battle. She she, uh, shared on Twitter, now X, her Bible-based views on sexuality and God's design for marriage. She talked about that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And Rysinen, the Finnish um, politician, told CBN Digital that she was grateful and relieved after being acquitted of hate speech charges against her. But the Finnish lawmaker had been criminally charged for tweeting a Bible verse, pause, all stop, 
pause and think about that. Can you imagine living in a world and in a government where you're criminally charged for tweeting a Bible verse? And again, Lois McClatchy of Alliance Defending Freedom, the United Kingdom, that's United Kingdom's version of, of what of our version of Alliance Defending Freedom, voiced her concerns over the new survey and pointed to this Finnish lawmaker as a cautionary tale. She said, quote, we may no longer be a majority Christian population here in Britain, she said. That's even more reason to protect freedom of speech and belief for all. And in addition to this Finnish lawmaker's case, there have been numerous instances of unabashed censorship in the United Kingdom, including a woman who was arrested not once, but twice outside of a United Kingdom abortion clinic. Producer Jim, you know what her crime was? She was praying. Her head was bowed. Her hands were folded. And she was praying. She was praying. And she was arrested. Twice. And um, according to McClatchy, Lois McClatchy of Alliance Defending Freedom in the United Kingdom, she said, quote, censoring one type of belief because it fails to fit with the dominant orthodoxy of our day is no better than imposing the illiberal blasphemy laws of the Middle Ages. McClatchy said, quote, we need a robust defense of religious freedom from those who craft our legislation, and we need to educate the be kind generation on the truly hateful consequences of censorship before this type of thinking creeps further into reality, unquote. I can't remember which person said this, but I remember... Maybe it was an educator. Maybe it was somebody famous who basically talking about hate speech and this particular person's problem with that subject, the concept of hate speech, was who gets to define what constitutes hate speech. Does the simple presence of offense constitute hate speech. This is Gino Geraci. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And as I'm reflecting on what the Bible says about certain things, I can see how some people would think of it as hate speech and or or that people will find it offensive. And over the years as I've talked with people about 
things that offend them in the Bible. Some of the most common things that come up are things like in Exodus chapter 22, 18. Do not allow a sorceress to live. That's in Exodus 22, 18. So what you're basically saying is that people who practice witchcraft should not be allowed to live. Now, again, when we ask and we answer the question, does that mean that Christians and Bible believers have marching orders and that if someone embraces witchcraft or practices witchcraft or practices sorcery, that you now have the biblical right to kill them? And when we ask and we answer the question in Exodus chapter twenty-two, eighteen, and because the Lord was very clear on this, did the children of Israel in their jurisprudence literally exercise the right to kill people or apply capital punishment to the people who practice witchcraft? Well, what, what I'm going to point out is that it was an utter and dismal failure. They didn't uh, follow the, the law. As a matter of fact, in many cases, they broke the law. But again, it, it goes to the higher question. Well, if the Bible in principle does not allow a sorceress to live, how do we think about it? Well, we think about the fact that uh, the children of Israel and and uh, the government of Israel was, in fact, in Exodus chapter 22, 18, a theocracy. And so for many people, they go, well, if, if we're going to have a Bible, um, in order to um, make sure that it's inclusive and we don't offend witches and warlocks and people who practice Wiccan practices, um, we need to make sure that, um, that we excise Exodus 22, 18. Or what about 1 Peter chapter 2? Verse 18, which says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. In other words, for the people who are treating you right, but also for the people who are treating you wrong. There was a time when Christians used the Bible and used the Bible's teachings about slavery as a reason not to abolish the slave trade. So imagine... People use the Bible to advocate for the abolition of slavery. And people use the Bible to promote slavery. And so when you think about all of these things, um, you can imagine that some people are going to find this Offensive. Anyone who curses their mother and father is to be put to death, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. For many people, they go, well, that sounds a little harsh. 
Well, what about the murder of pagan children and infants in Hosea 13.4? You shall acknowledge no God but me. You are destroyed, Israel. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women are going to be ripped open. Is this some sort of... um, tale of encouragement that this is what should be done. I'm going to suggest to you it isn't a tale of encouragement of what should be done, but what will happen in when when a group of people in rebellion and disobedience to to God that in this great big wicked world wicked things happen. But does that mean that God is advocating evil. Clearly, God allows evil, but does God condone evil? And by the way, what is the biblical solution to the problem of evil? And so the Bible outlines and acknowledges that something has gone terribly wrong. And the scripture frames the argument rather well. And then articulates the fact that God doesn't create evil and that God doesn't promote evil. As a matter of fact, the Bible consistently describes God's actions in retarding evil and limiting evil and warning of the dangers of evil and trying to stop the spread of evil, encouraging people to escape from evil, but remembering that people make choices, wicked choices that result in evil consequences. And again, when I look at what the passages of Scripture where there's hints, there's insights, there is pictures of God working on the problem of evil. And and so, again, when we talk about, well, what about the problem of evil? And the way that I would in part answer that question is it's an ongoing problem. And the very fact that it's an ongoing problem doesn't mean God isn't going to deal with it and isn't dealing with it and won't ultimately defeat it because he will. 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. It's quite easy to do. You just literally pick up the phone. You dial the number uh, 303-873-1935. That's the number. You know, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. In other words, they were naked. Well, why is that a problem? Well, it was a problem because it became a manifestation of a descent into a self-awareness of rebellion. 
In other words, is there something fundamentally wrong with being naked? No. Are there certain circumstances where being naked is a problem? The answer is yes. But it becomes a type and a picture that human beings need a covering. And when it says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, we have every reason to believe that it was because of the death of an animal. And with the death of an animal, the Lord produces a garment for, for Adam and his wife. In, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 10 through 15, it talks about Cain killing Abel. In Genesis 6, it talks about how great the wickedness of the human race proliferates over the entire earth and how every inclination of the thoughts of human beings were only evil all the time. And the Lord was going to cleanse the earth. And then focus the offspring of Adam. It's very interesting. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Gino Geraci. The number's 303-873-1935. Apparently, a caller just called in and said, I'm confusing. I'm all over the place. That I need to quote more scripture. And uh, call me back. I would love to be more specific. I'm happy to quote scripture. I am happy to point out what the Bible says about any given subject. And if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. I was talking about what's the biblical solution to the problem of evil. That So if, if you focus, focus, focus like a laser on what is uh, the problem of evil, and what does the scripture say about the problem of evil? And how does the scripture frame the problem of evil? And how does scripture oppose the problem of evil? And then how does the scripture resolve the problem of evil? That's where I was going with it. And I was going with the resolution of the problem. And so the the existence of evil is often presumed as an enormous problem for those who believe in God, mostly because of various false dichotomies. God must, it's assumed, disallow all evil, or he himself is evil. God must immediately punish all evildoers and never trouble those who are innocent, or he's assumed not to be omnipotent. In reality, those assumptions miss the actual means by which scripture resolves the problem of evil. Or we might even say the revelation of how God is going to deal with evil. So as we've seen, the Bible acknowledges evil, correctly frames evil, shows how God's going to oppose evil. But most importantly, the scripture explains how the existence of of the Christian God defeats the problem of evil. So when we ask and we answer the question, people have this idea about God. 
or their own idea about God. But the only accurate information that we have about God comes from the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So pause and think about the, the, the caller's criticism. Quote more scripture and be more specific. Well, in Matthew sixteen twenty one. As Jesus is explaining to his disciples the reason why he has to go to Jerusalem and that he's going to experience suffering, that the religious leaders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law are going to arrest him. They're going to torture him and they're going to kill him. And he's going to come back to life. Well, is that a resolution of the problem of evil? In one sense it is, because Jesus is going to come and he's going to live and die and come back to life so that the problem of evil can be addressed. But it's the problem of evil in the human heart, and it's the problem of evil and sin in you and in me. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to uh, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And for that, the presence of evil and wickedness is going to seem to triumph for a season, but there's rhyme and there's reason, like the earlier scripture that I quoted that Jesus is going to cover Adam and Eve in sins and then G, that, that God in Christ is going to cover you and me. In Luke twenty two nineteen, it says, and he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, a death is going to occur in order to deal with the problem of sin and deal with the problem of evil. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, the solution to the problem of evil and sin is going to have to be permanently and forever satisfied in the person of Jesus. We could go on and on with the scriptures. On, in John chapter uh, 20, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, that's Sunday. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. In other words, we're now going to be on the road to the eventual reduction of evil and at some point the permanent elimination of evil. So for the person who argues, well, God isn't doing anything about evil, that's just simply not true. Jesus came and died and came back to life 
And one day, one day, one day, one day, the permanent resolution of the problem of sin and evil is going to be forever satisfied. In John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, when Jesus says, I'm speaking to you, I've told you these things, so that in me you're going to have peace. We probably aren't going to have peace in the political systems of the world. We're probably not going to have peace and the resolution of vastly different ideological beliefs until God, according to his grace and his mercy in Christ Jesus, is going to forever deal with the problem of sin. So, taken as a whole, as it's intended, the Bible describes evil as something that God allows but never condones for the sake of our free will. All through history, God has taken steps to limit the influences of evil. And most importantly, God took the consequences of our sin so that every person can have access to forgiveness and salvation. And as a result, all sin, all evil, all suffering will one day, will someday be completely ended. Beyond the philosophical and theological aspects of the issue, Scripture in and of itself goes a long way. to neutralizing the problem of evil. You know, it's interesting to me, very few people talk about the problem of good. In October 2010, Sam Harris wrote a book called The Moral Landscape. And in that book, Harris argues against grounding morality in God and says that science is the only vehicle that humanity can use in determining concepts of good and evil. Yeah, but he doesn't do a very good job of asking and answering the question, why is anything good? Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.